You are not the physical hurt that you inflicted on someone. You're not the night that you walked out on your family. You're not the accident that you caused that seriously injured somebody. You're not the 5,000th time that you vowed to quit drinking only to go back to the bottle. You're not the abortion that you had when you were younger. You're not the sexual activity that you engaged in outside of marriage. You're not the military events that led you to do violent things. You are not the business deal that ruined your partner. We're continuing the sermon series called Embracing Forgiveness. Today, we're on a very important topic called How Do I Forgive Myself? As I've been researching and praying about and talking to people, especially Pastor Tim, who's counseled hundreds of people over the decades, I'm coming to understand that this kind of forgiveness oftentimes is the most difficult. God's forgiveness to me, okay. I should forgive other people, okay. But somehow I just can't forgive myself. Author R.T. Kendall is a Christian author. We used his book, Total Forgiveness, about 10 years ago in our sermon series and in our small groups. And he writes this, not forgiving ourselves as is wrong as not forgiving others, because God loves us just as much as he loves others. And he will be just as unhappy when we don't forgive ourselves as when we hold a grudge against others. Simply put, we matter to God. He wants our, our lives to be filled with joy. He not only wants us to forgive ourselves, but he also wants us to do it urgently. So our text for today is a very familiar portion of Scripture. Oftentimes you hear it read at, at uh, weddings. It's the love verse, 1 Corinthians 13. And we'll uh, dig and unpack this uh, a little bit deeper into the sermons, uh, but I want to read it to you right now. You're familiar with it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Friends, this is God's word for us this morning. Let's come before God in prayer this morning. Father in heaven, we know that Jesus died for our sins and you have forgiven us of our sins and we're grateful for that forgiveness, but sometimes our memories resurface and we feel guilty over the pain we've caused and we struggle to forgive ourselves. So help us, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Set us free. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. My Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Christ's name we pray, and together we all say, amen. I want to make a couple distinctions here at the beginning. There's a distinction between regret and not forgiving yourselves. I believe you can totally and completely forgive yourself for the things that you've done and still regret them. Of course you would. You hurt people. You're aware of that, and it makes you feel sad, but that doesn't mean you have um, not forgiven yourself. Now, those two kind of play together, so we need to um, keep those apart, but I want to make that distinction. And secondly, I want to talk to you about maybe the two reasons you're not forgiving yourself, at least the two that I've uncovered. Maybe there's more. And the first one goes like this. Well, I don't believe that God forgives me. Well, Pastor Zardi tackled that last week. It's the foundational core of our Christian faith, that God has forgiven us of our sins through his son, Jesus Christ. You're not defined by your sin, but by God's love. And God is now calling you to forgive yourself. Martin Luther writes in his larger catechism, it's a little bit formal language, but I think as Martin Luther always does, I think he kind of hits it out of the park. He says, we fell under God's wrath and displeasure and were doomed to eternal damnation just as, as we had merited and deserved. There was no counsel, no help, no comfort until this only and eternal son of God in his immeasurable goodness 
had compassion upon our misery and wretchedness, and he came from heaven to help us so that those tyrants and jailers are all expelled now. In their place has come Jesus Christ, Lord of life, righteousness, every blessing and salvation. He has delivered us, poor, lost people from hell's jaws, has won us. He has made us free and brought us again into the Father's favor and grace. So if you think you're not forgiven by God, you're wrong. (laughs) If you can't forgive yourself for other reasons, like you don't think you deserve it, you're right. (laughs) You don't, and I don't either, but we are forgiven by God, and he now calls us to let those things go. That's called grace. Or maybe you don't really want people to think that you're arrogant. In other words, well, wow, that person's really not taking their sin very seriously. Or we kind of like the idea of being seen slightly tortured. People see us like, oh, they're a deep person. They're really holding on to these past regrets. They're very sophisticated. They're thoughtful to be tormented by their past. Or there's a certain perverse identity issue. Somehow, strangely, we like being the person associated with those things. The human mind, the human psyche is a very complicated thing. Or, Or maybe you just believe that what you've done is so evil that you just can't forgive yourself. Well, if we believe God has forgiven us, and he has, and calls us to forgive ourselves, we ought to do some work on that. It's God's love that changes all of this. It's God's love that changes all of this. And that's kind of the first half of our sermon this morning. God's love was his motivation for forgiving us, and it should help us to forgive ourselves. Why was it that God forgave us? Because he loved us. That was the motivation, and that ought to help us forgive ourselves. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and In that death, he took away our sins. This is love on display. How much did God love us? That he would sacrifice his only son who did not deserve death. We did, but in our place that he would give him up for us. That is a deep love, almost so profound that the human spirit can't grasp it. So what does this kind of love on display look like? We know that God loves us. Are we supposed to love ourselves? Is that even a biblical thing? That sounds kind of maybe foreign to us. What does the Bible say about it? In several places in Scripture, we learn we are to love ourselves. Old Testament, book of Leviticus, God has given instructions to the people on how they should treat foreigners, sojourners. And he says this, the foreigner residing among them must be treated as your native born. Love those people as you love yourself. Supposed to love ourselves for you were once foreigners in Egypt. In the New Testament, they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, just make it really clear. Like, what's the important stuff? And he says, love God with everything that you are and love your neighbor how? As yourself. We're supposed to love ourselves. There is no commandment greater than these. So this is the foundation I want to set. Hold on to this. We'll get back to this in just a moment, that we are called to love ourselves. And this great love that God has for us is our confidence, A, to forgive ourselves, and it drives out fear. God says your sin is no longer on you, so now you have confidence that you will not be punished for your sin, and there should be no fear because fear comes from the idea that we might be punished. We know this from 1 John 4. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is made perfect in love. So, so this great deep love that God has for us is our healing from him, and it's our healing for ourselves. I'm going to do some affirmation. I, I, I want you to repeat things after me this morning. We're really going to do this in this room. I'll say a sentence. I want you to repeat it back to me, okay? You guys ready? Repeat this. I will not be punished for my sins. I will not be punished for my sins. 
I'm free from them. They're not on me. I don't have anything to do with them. I don't own them. And they certainly don't own me. Can we say that? Can we say that we have nothing to do with our sins? I think we can. I think the Bible is pretty clear. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he, God, removed our transgressions, our sins from us. Micah 7.19, God will hurl all our iniquities, all our sins, into the depths of the sea. Why is God using this descriptive, distinctive language to talk about separating us from sin? Because he wants to get through to us that you now have nothing to do with your sin. It's away from you. Jesus took them from you. So why is it that you're holding on to them? Why is it that you want them back somehow? I hope we're starting to crack this hard nut of this idea of not forgiving ourselves. Well, I read that 1 Corinthians 13 passage because I want to turn that love on ourselves. Can we take 1 Corinthians 13 love and love ourselves that way? We read 1 Corinthians 13, we think about it, that's the way God loves us, that's the way we ought to love others, that's the way we ought to love God. But can we take the directives from 1 Corinthians 13 and turn that kind of love on ourselves? Love for myself is patient. We know we're supposed to love each other, right? We just discovered that a few minutes ago. Love for myself is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Love for myself keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, trusts, hopes, always perseveres. Love for myself never fails. The nugget I want to pull out of that, at least for these purposes right now, is right in the middle. Can we love ourselves this way so that it keeps no record of wrongs? You know, we read this and we go, yeah, when someone sins against me, I forgive them. And then it's, I wipe the slate clean. There's no record of that transgression against me. I don't hold that against them. It's gone. Can we love ourselves this way? That love keeps no records of wrongs of myself. But what does that mean to you? What does that look like? The love of God is our motivation to forgive ourselves. So from this passage, 1 Corinthians 13, let's work through um, forward from this passage and see what it has to say about this self-love we're supposed to have and how this can help us forgive ourselves. And the next thing it says is love rejoices in the truth. Love for yourself rejoices in the truth. Underline the word rejoices too. I should have done that. That's the action verb, that it rejoices in the truth. So how much rejoicing in the fact, in the truth that God has forgiven of your sins have you been doing? That's a weird question, right? I mean, do we take time out to literally rejoice in the truth that God has forgiven our sins? I think this is key. I really think this might be the big action step of the sermon. Purposely take time, set it aside to rejoice in the truth that you are forgiven of your sins. I started doing that a couple weeks ago when I started preparing for this message, and I think it's doing me some good. I spend time just rejoicing. God, it's truthful. Thank you that you have forgiven me of my sins. I rejoice in the fact that they've been separated from me. We ought to rejoice in the fact they've been removed from us. Rejoice in the fact that your sin is not on you, any part of you. Rejoice in the truth that you no longer have anything to do with your sins because Jesus took them away from you. He took them from you. 1983, McDonald's came out with Chicken McNuggets. Woo! I was 16. This was a big deal for a 16-year-old. I love McNuggets. Still do. 
Uh, and, and then years later, who knows what year it was, but some journalist, I think, was trying to make a story, and they published the shocking ingredients of Chicken McNuggets. And the first one was supposed to, like, frighten us and shock us. Remember what it said? Mechanically separated chicken parts. Like, right, that's so technical sounding, and we were all supposed to go, ooh! And I was like, what's the big deal? It's a machine pulling chicken off of a chicken bone. That's what that means. But somehow that was supposed to be like a thing. Mechanically separated chicken parts. Mechanically, so picture some kind of machine, some inventor, like it pulls the chicken meat off the bone. And the meat goes over there and the bone goes over here. So we are not mechanically separated from our sin, but I want us to think literally about being separated, pulled away from us. Like when mechanically separated chicken parts go, like the meat goes there, and there might still be a sliver of meat on the bone, it goes over there. That's not the way it is with our sin. God completely pulls it off of us. It's not on us anymore. It is separated from us. Replace your thoughts of unforgiveness to yourself and your unhealthy guilt with thoughts of the truth that God has completely removed your sin from you. If you struggle in this area of not being able to forgive yourself, I'm challenging you this week and in the weeks to come to literally set time apart during your week to rejoice in the truth that it's not on you anymore. It's not yours. I don't own that sin. The second passage in this 1 Corinthians 13 love passage, the um, the love for myself always protects It says that, so let's talk about that. What does that mean to protect? Usually we see that as, oh, I love someone, so I protect them. Yeah, that's true. But it also means that we ought to protect ourselves. Does the Bible talk about protecting ourselves? I think it does a lot. Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, remember you put on armor, why? To protect yourself. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. We just talked about truth and the breastplate of righteousness in place with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. This one's important for us today because I believe it's the evil one who comes after us and and tempts us with the idea that we ought not forgive ourselves. Take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Take some time to intentionally put on the armor of God to protect yourself. Love yourself that way. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard. Guard is a protection word, right? Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The Life Application Bible, I think, does a pretty good job of explaining this passage. It says, put boundaries on your desires. And in a strange way, our um, unwillingness to forgive ourselves is kind of a desire. Hmm, That's weird. But put a boundary on that desire. Don't, have, uh, don't go after everything you see. Look straight ahead. Keep your eyes fixed on your goal. And don't get sidetracked on detours to sin. The next line in this 1 Corinthians 13 passage is that love always trusts. When you love yourself, you trust things. Now, we need to be careful here because we know in the flesh, the old Adam, the old man in me is sinful and deceitful. And if I trust that man, that's going to get me to trouble. But to trust in what? Trust in God's promises. Hebrews 8.12, I, God, will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Trust in promises like 1 John 1.19. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Trust in promises like Isaiah 55.7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, and he will do what? 
abundantly pardon. Why does God need to use the word abundantly? Why couldn't he just say pardon? Because he wants us to get that he is abundant in love and grace and completely forgives us all of our sins, and we ought to do the same for ourselves. So next in our lineup of 1 Corinthians 13, attributes of the self-love, love always hopes. I've shared the Mark Ryan definition of biblical hope. It's the belief in the promises made by someone who's never broken a promise. And that one is helpful for to, to me anyway. Uh, a guy named Paul David Tripp uh, is an author. And one of the books he wrote called New Morning Mercies is the devotional book that we use as a staff. The staff at Royal Redeemer gets together on Tuesday mornings and works through that book. And he writes about this. He says, hope for the believer is not a dream of what could be. Oh, there it is. Hope for the believer is not a dream of what could be, but a confident expectation of a guaranteed result that shapes life. It's a little deep there, but take that in. And then he goes on to say, hope is a lifestyle. Your hope shapes the way you live. Your hope causes you to make the decisions you make. A lack of hope causes you to feel stuck, demotivated. Confident hope makes you decisive and courageous. Wobbly hope makes you timid and indecisive. Hope is not just something you do with your brain. You always live your hope in some way. So that last portion, you always live your hope some way. What does that mean for us today? That we're living out that hope that we have and the ability to forgive ourselves. Our final stop this morning as we walk through this 1 Corinthians 13 passage is that love always perseveres. The idea of perseverance, of hanging on, old English long-suffering is is key to the Christian faith, that we remain steadfast in our love. You, you may not see results in this area today or tomorrow or by Thursday, but hang on. This is something that God wants for you, and if you submit to his will, he'll move on you to be able to forgive yourself. Persevere this way. James 1.4, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lack for nothing. This idea of perseverance finishing its work, gosh, I think that's a whole sermon, if not a whole sermon series, and we don't have time for that now. But hang on. Let God's love in your life allow you to be moved to be able to forgive you of yourself. Well, our time is up for this sermon right now, but some next steps for you to think about. I'll spend a little bit more time on the next steps than we generally do because I really want to talk about them. Allow God's love to be such an enormous part of your life that you can let past sins go. That's nice. What does that mean? I mean, okay, how do I let God's love be enormous in my life? Well, be in his word. We say it around here a lot because it's that important. Read God's word. Learn about his love for you. We understand in a mysterious and divine way that when we are in God's word, when it's preached to us, when we read it, we're getting God in ourselves, God on ourselves, in our spirit. So read his word. Come to church, hear sermons. The holy meal that we'll enjoy next week. That's more than just a religious ritual. You'll come forward for bread and wine, body and blood, but that's Christ being given to you. That's God's love being fed to you in a beautiful, divine, mysterious way. If you're not baptized, same thing happens. It's not just a ceremonial religious washing that happens. God's grabbing you and saying, this one belongs to me. My love, his divine mercy, his peace and his grace is on you. That's God's love on you. Number two, uh, daily rejoice and celebrate the truth that God forgives you of all your sins. I really think this is a, a key action step in this area. Spend time rejoicing in the truth that you are fully forgiven of your sins. And finally, decide to patiently wait for God's complete healing in this area because it's on the way. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, we desperately throw ourselves on your mercy in this area of forgiving ourselves. I know many listening really struggle with this, and by your mercy and grace and truth, help us. Remind us of your son's Jesus words who said, if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. We pray all of this to the glory of Jesus' name, that he might be known among the nations, and together we all say, amen.